Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today, our last, well, actually our final market report for the year. And who better to entertain and inform us than the usual suspects from EP3, formerly known as Thomas Elder Markets. Welcome, Matthew Dalgleish. G'day, Kerry. Thanks for having me. And from Stockholm in Adelaide, but as usual on the road again, welcome, Chris Howie. G'day, Kerry. How are you? And it's uh, been another weird year in many ways for the markets. Uh, before we look forward, let's look back for a minute with perhaps the highlights of 2022. Chris, what was the standout for you? <laughs> God, that's a good one without notice. <laughs> I think I, I actually think the standout was the fact that we had we come out of the uh, the COVID piece and actually started to see some serious returns for livestock across the board. And it's, it's just been the weather that actually that's made it harder than it should have been, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I suspect that might be a low light. It is for me, it's certainly. But uh, Matt, from, uh, apart from getting a new name, EP3, what was the market highlight for you this past year? For me, it was actually the season. And, and I, I know it's been difficult just recently. There's a lot of war around and people are suffering. But I just think back to, you know, read the last, two or three seasons, we've had good seasons, good harvest, you know, good pasture availability, so, you know, pushing prices higher for producers. Um, and I think once we get past this frustration now with this too much wet, it is going to set us up for a really good, you know, moisture profile into 2023 and, you know, probably enough into 2024 even to start to turn dry. So, you know, I think, uh, and that's flowed through, like you said, to, to really good, strong farm gate returns across a lot, of, a lot of commodities. So I think that's been a bit of a, you know, even though it's painful now, it's been a bit of a blessing, I think. The floods uh, advance any call for more dams? And I talking about flood mitigation rather than irrigation dams. I, I, I'm I'm watching like where I've been over the last two weeks. Every pothole is full of water. If you put another dam in, that dam would have been full as well. So I think it's it's a nice throwaway line. Do we need more dams? We're always going to need more dams. But at, at this weather event has got everything at capacity. I don't think it would have helped. The volume of water is just incredible, and it's and even on those undammed tributaries like the uh, the Darling and that, there's a lot of water coming in through there. And I suspect there's been a lot of damage to infrastructure. You mentioned the roads the other day when we spoke, Chris. Every road that's carrying heavy transport um, across the Hay Plain is pretty much disintegrated to nothing. Um, heading out through Daniloquin now, and it's it's big potholes. A lot of damage being caused to vehicles and trucks. And it's crumbling from underneath. I saw a couple of sinkholes between Wodonga and uh, Albury the other day that have just formed in the road six foot wide, six foot deep, where the water's just rushed in underneath. There's a lot of money to be spent once it does dry out. Yes, um, Matt, you and I were in Primex and, and Casino last week and we drove through Lismore. It's quite distressing. And imagine that multiplied right up and down the east coast of Australia. Yeah, it is. It's been... It's been particularly tough for those you know, people that have been impacted directly by the floods. And the other thing I'd add just to the infrastructure is, you know, things like just fencing and you know, being taken away. And, and for some places, it's, I noticed um, Andrew Freshwater on Twitter, a, a farmer, a sheep farmer in Victoria, I think he's repairing his fences for the second or third time in the, you know, the last month. So it's just that ongoing kind of, you know, you've got enough to do on farming to be constantly fixing things. Yeah, I suspect dams might be a bridge too far for either parties. One's scared and the other one's not game. Uh, Let's let's look at how what's the influence been in the east of the on the cattle prices of the big wet. In the early stages, I think it was kind of you know 
was probably um, supporting them somewhat, but I think as we've got you know further in, it's, it's now starting to weigh on them a little bit, or certainly at least the young cattle pricing, which is a bit peculiar. You'd, you'd kind of expect them to go up, but I noticed uh, overnight the equity's gone below ten dollars, and in contrast, the heavy steers, you know, up at four seventy five live weight. So the markets are quite strange at the moment. I think there's a lot of uncertainty around how things are going to play out, and, and we're seeing that in the price action. Chris, you're noticing an emphasis on heavier cattle, aren't you? Yeah, well, look, the heavy cattle job has been extremely good. We've seen cow going from sort of 4.30 now, yesterday or during this week, 3.70 the top of your cow job. The heavy bullocks are starting to ease back very quickly. And that disparity, the heavy cattle are dropping away, and it seems as though, even though the ecchi is dropping off, the demand for light cattle has been driven by grass again. They just seem to be... They seem to be going in different directions considering what the, the end result is. Matt, uh, as we speak, you're in Perth. They must be looking at the, uh, uh, at the east with uh, some glee because it can only be positive for them all the damage to uh, crops, etc., uh, what, what, what they can take off there in Western Australia. Yeah, well, I was actually out yesterday in, in, in the country and there, there are people, you can see the people harvesting and, you know, the crop's in magnificent condition over here. And, I mean, you know, I hate to think how long we're going to be before we're going to start harvesting the east at the moment. I think we're, you know, at least a month behind, if not longer. It's not so much they're rejoicing, but they're certainly happy that they're not getting the, the wet weather that we've seen in the east coast. Um, the only downside for them, I guess, is, you know, the, the livestock pricing has been a bit depressed, um, particularly for sheep and lamb. Through that, mor- that moratorium period, always a bit tricky um, in the west uh, when, when the live export buyers not around. Um, and we did see pricing kind of you know, significantly lower in the in the west and the east when you, when you compare um, land and mountain. The prices from last year are only marginally down. I mean, it's maybe five or six percent. Uh, I I think it's extraordinary how it's how it's well held up over the past twelve months. Uh, is there any chatter in the west as we speak, Matty, on the impending closure of um, of live exports out of the west? Uh, yeah. It's- Fairly front of mind for a lot of um, sheep producers here, I think. But I do get this feeling, Terry, that there's a bit of a perception amongst some that, that they just don't think it's going to happen still, even though Labor's been quite uh, clear on that. As the, not, not obviously not this year, but into the next electoral term, I think, is the, when they're planning for uh, some level of um, timeline. But yeah, look, there are producers over here that I'm not sure whether it's just you know not wanting to accept that that's going to eventually happen or not. But it's um, there are some that are just hopeful that you know there's either going to be some sense. Come to the Labor Party and, and change their view, which I don't think is going to happen, or um, you know they're going to uh, you know somehow have a, a change of government next term uh, back to a, a Liberal National, and then it's off the agenda again. Chris, I suspect there's a lot of Eastern eyes on the West in terms of their processing capacity, and if they do put the ban on, maybe there's some uh, move to increase that capacity in the West. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's the only way they really. I mean. We saw some big flows coming um, 2020, 2021 from, from west to east, but that can't happen every year. And certainly this year, they're back to more normal levels. This is you know, somewhere about 3 to 4% of their, ter- their annual turnoff goes to the east in a normal year. Um, last year, it was, it was about 12%. And took, it took away a lot of that pressure from the, the live export being down. But certainly, you know, if live export eventually goes completely, they're going to have to have increased capacity in the west. I'd suggest they're going to have to kind of increase their ability to take um, animals through uh, abattoirs at you know fifty percent more than what they're doing now to be able to you know cover that that shortfall uh, in live export. I don't think they can send the east all the time. You might find the east becomes a bit more of an important market for them, but I think they're going to have to process domestically if that's what they're going to do with um, live export phasing out. Chris, they can hardly send a million uh, sheep across the Nullarbor to uh, eastern states, can they? 
No, and that's and, and Matt's right. Moving moving uh, processing stock across the flat, you know, when the the, the price works out. Store stock, it's easy because they're coming across going on the grass, but you've got to maintain the quality of the animal bringing it across. And uh, there's a lot of cost involved in doing that. What's the ovine picture broadly like at the moment, Chris? I think you hit the nail on the head there before. What we saw was a spike in the market after that last rain, and it was a significant spike because no one could move anywhere. Um, We couldn't get lambs up of Tasmania. And so the job did jump back up into the high, high eight. That correction, when it did dry out, removed that spike about 10 days later, plus there was a correction in the market. So it actually was a bit more severe. The perception was that it was more severe than what it was. I, I think the, the lamb job, if it can stabilise around that $7, everyone's sort of poking along. There is going to be a big run of lambs at present. Um, they've all been pushed together. A lot of store lambs, a lot of lambs washed out. Wagga, Bendigo, Ballarat. Looking at those lambs last week and the week before, uh, they've just had too much water on them. The quality is still there in regards to backgrounding, you know, shear them, put them out in the paddock and bring them back in later on. But the uh, the heavy lambs, I think everyone's waiting for sort of that Hamilton, uh, narrow court, the, the, the lower southeast to start supplying proper heavy lambs. And the exports, uh, export prospects, because that's what's, uh, what's in the background here, exports, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, and look, Matt's probably got better figures than I've got. What we're hearing is there is, quite a bit of grief, and I'm, I'm talking about beef now, around moving beef internationally. It's putting pressure on the processes in regards to end-user market. Lamb, I haven't heard a lot. You know, Matt might be able to speak more to that. Yeah, I, I just had before, sorry, too, before I, I go into the export side, I, with the, what Chris was saying, too, that if you look at the yardings coming through um, in, the, in the eastern states, certainly, and particularly Victoria, um, they've been below average up until just last week was the first time they actually hit the average level um, in, in terms of that spring flush. So I think there's still a lot more yet to come. And I think we're going to start to see them as we head through November, December. So that's, I think the kind of pressure price back towards you know, that kind of low 700s, um, yeah, maybe even dipping under into the high 600s. Time for a break from our Beef Central podcast series on the grill. We're talking to Chris Harrow from Stocko and Matty Delgleese from EP3. Akatak Duo Star from Alanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. You're back on the grill with Kerry Lonigan, and here our guests today are Chris Harry from Stockco and Matty Dalgleish from EP3. Now, let's go back to cattle for a moment. I just noticed a quote here on my um, my own notes. The Alpha President, Barb Madden, says, Lot feeders are facing challenging circumstances. So we've got lot feeders challenging circumstances. The processes we know have been struggling for for a long time now. So two of the major parts of the supply chain are facing challenging circumstances. Retailers, of course, they'll always do okay. Uh, what what are the prospects for both the uh, both the lot feeders and the processors, or have they still got a long way ahead of them? Uh, look, I think you know, I think the market is turning slowly. I don't think we're going to see a collapse, but I think we are going to see a bit of a correction. Um, we've certainly seen some of that now in the spring flush for the you know, sheep and lamb job. I think with cattle, um, it's probably a bit of sideways movement potentially 
with all this, you know, kind of rain washing through. But but I do think into next year there will start to be some easing in pricing um, gradual, like you know, something eight percent, thirteen percent, something like that. Um, getting getting that um, heavy steer back down to you know the low four hundred and into the high three hundreds later later part of twenty twenty three is what I'm expecting, and that's going to provide some level of relief certainly as well. If we start to see um, in the US uh, the, the final stages of their liquidation, that's going to put a little bit of a, a rocket under global cattle pricing. And if that coincides with when we're seeing a bit of price easing here, um, then you know we could find that the spread you know widens in our favour a little bit, and that's going to be encouraging for exports there as well. I think we're seeing a more structured uh, pullback of price on cattle, especially feeder cattle. It's more so the tightening of specifications. You know, they're, they're just tightening up what the preferred model is, you know, 380 to 450 instead of a 380 to 520. Yeah. And and so I think it's more regimented. That it's, uh, it's, it's not a, a big moment like what's happened in the lamb job. The, I noticed also the uh, feed wheat price, Darling Downs, has gone up $55 a tonne recently. Uh, there's much margin after the, they take into account that price lift. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, although, yeah, I mean, the, the, the easing feeder price, I think with you know, feeder price on the Eastern States just dipped under 500 this week. Um, so that might give some level of relief, but I, don't, I think the margins are pretty slim for, like you said, processes have been struggling for a good, a good while, at least 18 months. Um, and I think in the last, say, you know, three to six months, I think the, the feeders uh, are also under a fair bit of margin pressure. We're just seeing that shorter fed animals, they're just not there for long enough to, to, to grow them through their purchase price plus feed costs. And I think that's absorbed all the margin and creating a loss. So we have noticed a few feeders that are starting to change their feed model. They're going for maybe heavier cattle or a longer fed um, versus that uh, shorter term domestic feed. I noticed that they are they appear to be keeping their their cattle for longer, which might account for average carcass weights at present going through the roof. Three hundred and twenty four kilos. That's a that's a big that's a lot of beef to to put on one beast. I'll give that one to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I think well the other aspect Terry to think as well as that we're seeing you, know, you go back to that herd rebuild and the female slaughter ratio as low as it is. Yeah. There's a lot more in terms of average kind of car- carcass. You know, there's a lot more um, male cattle going through the system, so that's going to see that as well. Also, add to that by um, you know with, with the average weight coming through. That, there appears to be no stopping the herd rebuild. I mean, it's still the kill rate for females is still back down to thirty eight percent. Is there a time when the producers will have to look at each other and say enough is enough? I don't think they have that chat in the pub very often, Terry. The no. amount of feed <laughs> no, but, uh, that we've I, got. I, I recall. I'm old enough to remember the big cattle crash of the mid-70s, and I think they had, I'm not sure the number exactly, it was close to 36 or 37 million cattle in those days. And then, and then there was the cattle crash, of course. Yeah, I suppose we, we look at the low, the change of the change of land use. So the sheep have gone, uh, the sheep came in after the, uh, the cattle. But if you have a look into the pastoral areas, very low-cost production, they've got a huge feed base, and that will carry them, like Matt said before, that'll carry them for 18 months. Um, the inside country, those around Wagga actually got out of a lot of cattle during uh, during the last drought. Um, some big cropping programs that may change, but I think I think we've still got another 12, 18 months before we'd need to worry about a significant oversupply of cattle. Uh, the price will, the price will definitely sort out the uh, the appetite to keep stepping into more numbers at an at a producer level. I think those uh, heifers do, uh, which were born when the 
rebuild started, they're looking for their second coupling now. So I, I think the numbers are going to boom considerably over the next six or eight months. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think looking at the, the, the kind of strength of that rebuild, you know, just going off that CMOS water ratio, as you said, for as low as it's been in about three decades, um, that's going to that's going to add numbers to the to the herd. I think I, I'm on I'm on line with uh, you know MLA broadly um, in terms of you know they're, they're talking up to you know above 28 million head I think in the next few years. So we're not going to quite get to 30 million head, but I think we'll, we'll give it a good nudge, I reckon. Just, just as an aside, Matt, you've done extensive research on uh, breed values at the marketplace, and I guess it's no surprise Angus is the uh, the top dollar earner. The end the end user creates that uh, value proposition. Although I did hear a little aside the other day is that some of the feeders are actually saying, look, we're not taking on those high-quality blacks just at present because the end-user market, the consumer market, they can't find a place for them. So which that's the first time I've heard that uh, in conversation. Yes, well, it, I hark back to the wise cattle person who told me a couple of years ago that within 10 years Australia will be covered in black cattle. It's close now, isn't it? It must be 50%, I would think. It might have been that way, do Terry? Well, it could have been, or a combination of both. Yes, <laughs> I, I think I think that's the, that's the hidden one. The, the wagyu, uh, especially in what I do, the amount of people that are going into an Angus wagyu production model, uh, it's uh, it's a little bit like the uh, shedding sheep model. There are a lot of people heading that way. Um, which you know, if the returns remain the same, it's uh, it, it makes very good economic sense. Yeah. Time for a brief message from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. You're back on the grill with Kerry Lonigan, and here our guests today are Chris Harry from Stockco and Betty Dalgleish from EP3. So, are we ready for a, a, a change in supply and quality with lambs, in particular, heading into Christmas? I think we've got a lot of well, We've got a lot of feed and we've got some a lot of compromised crops with uh, second growth coming through and there's a lot of store lambs. And you can buy very good store lambs at present from 100, uh, I'm talking second cross lambs, 110 to $130. You can buy plenty of merinos at 85 to $110. Uh, anyone with heavy lambs is still getting returned, like let mum do the job, get rid of them. And I think we set ourselves up going into the February, March, April, May supply period with um, with grass-fed. There's no margin in, in grain-feeding lands at present. There's still a few out there doing it. That's their operation. But there's too much grass. Uh, there's not a dedicated grain-fed lamb premium within within market that can handle a big number of grain lambs. And 
let the grass and the mothers do the job at present and look at grain going into the new year. Oh, that large, uh, that very, very select elite butcher shop in Wallara in Sydney is still selling a rack of lamb for, of grass, grain fed of course, a uh, rack of lamb for $100 a kilo. <laughs> nice work if you can get it, doesn't it? <laughs> is that your Christmas lunch you're organising for, is it? Or? $100 a keg for lamb, heavens. Yeah. Now, exports, yeah. they're still uh, here and there, aren't they, a bit? Uh, is the industry just marking time, present until three things might or two of them might happen? The Ukraine war ends, the China freeze ends, or the American drought ends, or all three? Yeah, I think the... Um I think I was just going to say I think the um, out of all those three, I think maybe the, with the most recent meeting we saw with Xi Jinping in Albanese, that maybe the China one's the first one to go, or potentially the drought in the US might break, you know, next year sometime. I'm not sure the, the, the Ukraine war I think is going to drag on for some time. I'm looking at the the reports coming through. The China piece is significant, not only not only in regards to government to government, but also with the uh, there's still continued lockdowns trying to eradicate the COVID component. That's putting a lot of pressure on uh, the consumption of red meat over there. And uh, look, if the US gets a rain, you know, all the numbers say that there will be a red meat shortfall and Australia's in a very good position to supply into that into that shortfall. If it rains in America, say, today, how long before it impacts in Australia on the supply chain? Oh, it doesn't rain feed. We say that here all the time, so... Give them six weeks to eight weeks before they actually shake out whether or not they need to sell more cows because all of their feed's gone or uh, they've got the capacity to hold them and wait for a bit of grass to come on. Matt's probably got the numbers behind it. You're going to see three to four months, I'd suggest. I think as well I think as well that if you look back at the normal cattle cycle in the US, historically, three, a three-year liquidation is a pretty short liquidation. They tend to be average about four and a half, you know, maybe five years is the long-term average. So... I think we've got probably one more year at least of liquidation there before we see significant change to what they're doing. Well, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for China to end this freeze, I wouldn't think. I mean, uh, all talk and no action so far. It's Look, it sounds good, doesn't it? And inevitably, it probably will thaw out. There's a lot of angst up there, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's early days yet for that one to wait and see, but I think at least, um, you know, at the minimum, they're at least engaging in dialogue, which is what they weren't doing previously. So... Um, for my mind, that's a good start, and certainly there'd be, you know, um, seafood uh, fishermen out there that, and, and wine producers and, and, and seaweed barley in the silos would be happy to see, a, a, you know, a sign of the, the thaw finish and for us to get back in some of those markets because they're crucial for us, really. And I, I don't think we we should undervalue what the, the processors. They're good at their job. They're sitting there. They're trading meat every day. They're going in the market, so they're keeping supply moving. What they've got at present is they haven't ramped up their processing capacity. You know, looking at a couple of the big Queensland processes, they're only running a one shift four days a week. Um, and as you head further south, we're, we're nowhere near 100% capacity and no one has put on, even in the land job, has put on double shifts, mainly because they can't find the people. I think if that market opens up, I think the processes then can, can ramp up production, which also helps the producer. Yes, so look, next year could be good for staffing levels. If you look at the number of people planning to come to Australia, I believe the backpacker number, which used to be 70,000 a year or something, is, is only just starting to lift. And a lot of those people will be inevitably working in uh, regional and rural Australia. Close to 170,000 a year is the yeah, normal right. number yes. of pre-COVID. Yeah. yeah, for backpacker, yeah. yeah. I thought you said 70,000, but um, 
sometimes even up to 200 or so. But um, the, the only downside there is that um, with the free trade agreement uh, that the UK carry, that part of that agreement was that anyone coming from the UK as a backpacker to get additional or extended time in Australia, they no longer have to do their time in the regions and rural areas. Um, and, and traditionally, you know, UK backpackers consist about 25, 30% of, the, of all backpackers. So, you know, unless they want to go out to the regions, they don't longer have to do it. So that might, uh, even with those numbers coming through, you might find a lot more, you know, British uh, people at the, at the pub in Bondi and not so many out of, um, you know, the outback. Oh, I think I'd prefer I'd, a Swedish I'd, backpacker serving me a beer than a palm, actually, come to think of it. I've got to, I've got to be a bit diplomatic, but I was up at the Alpha uh, um, function, and when I said exactly what Matt said, they said we, we'd prefer not to have those from England because they don't want to work <laughs> and they win. <laughs> so they said they'd prefer that they do stay in the city, and uh, a lot of the South Americans and the uh, the Filipinos, Matt, they said they're extremely good workers and they'll have them any day of the week. Oh, the Swedes will do me any time. Now, look, forecast for next year. First, the positive. What's positive about next year? Uh, oh, look, I said the start, Kerry. I know like, it's a tricky one to kind of mention when so many people are suffering from this rain at the moment, but I, I do really think that that's going to set us up for a fantastic season next year. Anyway, you look at it across a lot of commodities, so... That to me is still, you know, a positive in in the long run. Once we get past this um, this flood, and, yeah, and I'm with Matt. Any yeah. year that we walk into, that we've got feed in front of us, take the price to one side. You've got the ability to manage your livestock to best advantage. You've got the ability for weight gain, and then you market your livestock. And the market's the market. You can't. None of us can change that. It just happens. But it's always good to be able to produce an animal to the best of your ability that you're not under that seasonal pressure where you're either paddock feeding or you've got to sell them because there is no food. Headwinds, men, um, must be pretty obvious by our security, I would think. Uh, and, and, and just some other other cost pressures, I think, um, you know, that if you think of the, you know, the good season as the upside, I think the downside has been, and it's stemmed from the Ukraine issue, obviously, but also, you know, other inflationary pressures, I think, you know, cost of, uh, fertiliser, cost of fuel, uh, labour, you know, labour problems. And I'm not talking about the political party there, Kerry. I'm talking about the, you know, access to farm labour. Yeah. Um, they're all, they're all kind of real frustrations out there at the moment. And, and, and I think with that labour, you could also add, um, the access to housing. If you can find the workers, then the next phase in some of those regional areas is to actually get them somewhere to live because that's also problematic at the moment. Chris, have you yeah. got a, got a yeah. wish list for next year? Oh, I, I can't wait to see the end of 2022. It's, I don't think it's done anyone any favours. You go right back to January with the uh, the COVID influence. We've had the water. It's, I just think I just think we're in a good spot. If we could get an average year, I think it'd be really good for everyone. And any last words on biosecurity? I I look. I won't even mention that word FMD, but I do fear about the LSD and the lack of action, the lack of proactive action in relation to to um, LSD. I think there's a lot that people could be doing? There's been a lot of work put in, and I'm only looking at what Troy said said the other day, a lot of work put into the vaccine for uh, LSD. If it does blow in on a cyclone, um, how far it's moved up in the Indonesian sort of archipelago. uh, Now, has it moved that quickly or has it not been reported? You know, that's something that we can't understand. But what I am am truly... um, thankful for is Border Force have stepped up their game. I see they turned someone around the other day that tried to bring in six kilos of bloody meat oh. 
and whacked them with a $2,500 fine, put them back on the plane straight away and three years not to come back to the country. We need to do a lot more of that. So the poor me moment's gone. When you find people that plead ignorance, well, sorry, here, pay up and then piss off. Uh, that's how it should be. Chris Harry from Stockco and Matty Dalgley from EP3. Thank you so much for being part of Beef Central this year. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Terry. It's uh, been good to be involved. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group. Thank you.